Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Jim. Pastor Bruce is away and uh, taking care of some stuff he'll let you know later about, but it's part of what he gets to do this week is spend time with his son, Ryan, who got to come home from the holidays. Uh, he's been in boot camp with the Army, and uh, they let him go. Praise God. That's really cool. So he got to be here. Um, so we'll miss him and uh, be praying for him and, and all like that. But we're approaching a new year, right? I hope you guys all had a great Christmas. But when you think about a new year, you often think about new year, new me. Uh, I know about five years ago, I was going through some pictures uh, from our last trip to Japan, which is hard to imagine it was five years ago. And what I noticed is that when I was in a picture with a couple of buddies from the, from the trip, uh, I saw myself having like three chins and not fitting my shirt the way I would anticipate being the svelte athlete that I... Thank you. That was... <laughs> Thanks for not laughing too hard at that. But... And so I made some decisions in trying to improve, trying to be new. And so one of those, you're, try not to gasp, I don't surf anymore. I, 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 because I kind of blamed surfing as some, this athletic endeavor that for me just amounted to sitting in the water and catching two or three waves an hour, and it just wasn't doing it for me. So I moved back to something I used to do in college, and before having kids, now that they're grown and I have a little more time, is I ride the bike. And so I'm, I'm feeling a lot better, and my pictures aren't so offensive to me anymore. And, uh, <clears throat> but that's kind of what we do, right? We come to a new year, and we just think about, how can I be a new me? And we think about our faith, and we think about finances, and we think about fitness, and we might think about the future, and we, we, we fit those things into uh, our living, and maybe you don't make resolutions, maybe you have goals, maybe you just think about, you know, those little ways you can improve. And for us as a church today, what I want us to think about is our new year being a new we. The corporate endeavor, the familial endeavor of what it means to be a church is what I want to talk about today and how that might play out uh, into uh, the new year and beyond. And so I am taking the thoughts today from Philippians 3, and you can join me there. And what I hope we can do today is recognize something that I think is really important. When you read through this chapter, and even sometimes it's taught this way, it's really tempting to buy into an individualistic faith. To think about that the response Paul is calling for is about how I might respond to Jesus Christ without consideration for a bigger picture. And I think he includes the bigger picture in this chapter, and I want to show that to you. Uh, as we read it and as we study it this morning. And what you could think about doing as we read the first time is having a pen or your highlighter out to circle, star, underline, or highlight certain words that I'm going to point out to you as we read. We're starting in verse 3, and you're going to circle the second word because it says, For we, circle we, are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. 
What he's highlighting there is his religious accomplishments and his status prior to his coming to Jesus Christ. And this is where he's at now. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Again, he's highlighting his uh, faith experience, and he's talking about the fact that uh, what he accomplished in his previous religious efforts didn't have any bearing on his true connection to Christ, and that his faith is what made all the difference. He goes on, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, circle brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us, you can circle those of us, who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us, circle us, hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, circle brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those, circle those, who walk according to the example you have in us, circle us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our, circle our, citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our, circle our, lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even uh, to subject him, even to subject all things to himself. We'll go one more verse. Therefore, my brothers, circle brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so the, the connected, the community, the corporate nature of this chapter is drawn out by those words that we circled. And it'll be part of what we highlight today. He's talking to a church, not to an individual. He's not talking to individuals themselves. He's talking to a group of people. The letters in the church, uh, the church epistles, most of which Paul wrote, were designed to be read in front of groups, in front of churches, assembled people coming together to obey the instruction together as a unit or a family, a team. And so there's some thoughts here that I think are super helpful to us that Paul is emphasizing and helping us understand that certainly have application for our individual faith and the way we follow Jesus Christ. But the broader picture is what it means to our church. And so we'll consider what it means in 2020 to have a new year and be a new we. And the first thing we want to see here is our our posture. The posture of a church, our eyes fixed. They're fixated on goals. They're fixated on what 
priorities the Bible sets forth as our priorities. And if you look at Paul in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And Paul had a goal, and he's fixed on it. I think there's something that's really important for us to understand about church life. And, he, and, and, and we're taught this here in a couple different verses, but I would really want you to tune in to what this means. Church life is a spiritual endeavor. It's spiritual. The things of the Spirit are received by faith. We get saved. You don't see or feel anything tangibly, but you experience it, and you do so by faith. I remember when I got saved, it felt like a ton of bricks was lifted off my shoulders when I knew I was forgiven by God. I didn't see it, but I knew it, and I received Christ by faith. Church life is spiritual. He says it here in verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Worship is to be spiritual. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's a positional truth, that while we're American citizens here practically right now, by faith, positionally, our position in heaven is as real today as it will be when we get there, for those of us who know Jesus Christ. We hold that position in Christ, and it's spiritual, and the nature of the church is spiritual. I think too often we want church to be sensational, which means oriented to the senses. And we think about how we feel and emotion. All those things are okay, but they're secondary to the fact that the church is spiritual. Some synonyms for sensational would be amazing, astounding, dramatic, electrifying, hair-raising, horrifying, thrilling, and it sounds like a movie preview from the 50s. But church is not about getting your religious itches scratched. It's about so much more. The church has a spiritual nature that we got to embrace by faith. We're purchased by Christ. We are his body. We are his bride. We are the family of God. And it's all about Jesus. When it talks about being the body of Christ, That means that we are his representation. The church is his representation in this world. It's big. It's magnificent inherently just by what it is, not by what we sense. And we got to take that by faith, and we got to live under that by faith. You might know, if I ask you, I'm sure some of you can answer what Pete Carroll's mantra is for coaching. That's a good one. Somebody said it over here. Always compete. Why in the world does an NFL coach who's coaching players who are elite in their abilities to an extent that is hard to understand, who make all kinds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, why does a coach have to say always compete? Because we're distracted. And we can be distracted away from what, that which is most important. And so we're going to be spiritual. 
We're going to come together because that's what we emphasized in here, right? We're going to have to come together. We need to remind ourselves like I would if I was playing for Pete Carroll. Always compete. This is hard. I don't want to be here. Always compete. I'm not feeling good today. Always compete. I'd rather be with my family. It's Christmas time. Always compete. And we have to remind ourselves that church, our faith is a spiritual endeavor, but we do this together. And you heard it. We circled it at least eight times. Brothers, we, us. And we're in this thing together. The church is a joined up corporate endeavor. It's a team. We come together to do the awesome, radical things of Christ, and we have to keep our minds fixed on that. We can't let that go. And we do it together. A lot of implications with together. What are they fixed on? They're fixed, our eyes, our posture is eyes fixed. They're fixed on Jesus. Look at seven and eight. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, knowing Christ, following Christ, participating in Christ is the ultimate. And he says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And so that distraction that Pete Carroll's helping his players eliminate, we've got to eliminate. If I say the numbers 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 11, and 13, what's that mean to you? Those are the numbers, of, that's the seven channels we had before cable. <laughs> seven. And now there's hundreds, and there's streaming services, and you can binge watch your favorite show all day long. And the world is full of distraction. I looked up uh, how many apps might exist, have existed and been available to us in 2019. Guess. Have a guess in your head. Don't say it out loud. Have a guess in your head and let's see if you come close. So in the Google store, currently, if you want to go shopping for a way to distract yourself on your phone and maybe you're really struggling to be to occupy your time in 2019, almost 20, which I'm not, my time's crazy occupied. Ready? Two million. And in the Apple store, there are 1.8 million. Four million opportunities for any of us to be distracted any day, all day, every day. Four million apps. I read another article my son was sharing with me, and this uh, certain site, certain blog was evaluating various things in 2019, one day at a time, and they did tech. I want you to guess again in your head how many times the average American touches their phone in any day. Just guess, don't say it out loud, you can, you can give your guess to your neighbor when I tell you. <clears throat> Are you ready? Ready? 2,600 times a day. Now, when you think about the fact that it's your clock, your calendar, your phone, your email, your texting, your social media experience, it might mean type, you know, every letter you type, but it, no matter what it is. 
And so the opportunity to be distracted away from what Paul says is the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ is piles and piles and piles. And what I see is a world that's anti-God in its philosophy as a whole, trying to distract us away from Jesus Christ. And our determination to not be distracted has to at least equal that, if not beat it. We can't allow ourselves to be distracted away from Jesus Christ, and yet the world is, boom, be distracted, be distracted. It's coming at us in so many ways, and the idea that Paul sets forth is so simple He says, you have one thing. We have one thing to be our primary focus, and it's Jesus Christ. One thing. It couldn't be more simple, and yet it's so easy to drift and to be distracted. And in the middle of focusing on Jesus and getting rid of distraction, We have this thing that we are involved in called life, and life is not easy. And so Paul calls us to endure. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. In other words, I endure to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because of how much I've been gifted in Jesus Christ, because my sins have been forgiven, because I'm empowered to live life Uh, in his grace, because heaven is waiting for me, I'm going to endure. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ, and we have to endure. What does it mean to endure? Here's my definition. It means to keep going even when it doesn't feel good. And man, that's life, isn't it? For everybody. You might look around and do the little comparison game and wonder, why isn't my life as charmed as theirs? You know what they're wondering? Why isn't my life as charmed as theirs? We're all going through tough times at one point or another in our lives, if not frequently, and we have to endure. We have to endure to the point that nothing, absolutely nothing, will cause us to lose hope, to lose faith, to take our eyes off Jesus. And there's a friend of ours in uh, the college young adult group. His name's Bob. We've nicknamed him Running Bob or RB because he runs a lot. He ran nine and a half miles on Christmas Day. When was the last time you ran nine and a half miles in a year? Uh, I, I haven't. I asked him the other night, what's the furthest you ever ran? And with just a little glimmer of satisfaction, not pride, he says to those of us sitting around, in one day, 42 miles. Awesome. Awesome. That same satisfaction is what we want out of our faith, isn't it? Isn't what we want to be able to say with Paul, I've kept the faith, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course. Getting in is good, finishing is the best just to be able to say you finished. And so we're gonna keep our eyes on a person and we're gonna do that without being distracted away from it and we're gonna endure. If you listen to one of my favorite authors, Oz Guinness here on the screen, I highly recommend if you, if you set out to be a new me in the new year by reading 
Read the call by God again. He says, we are not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. We are not called first to a special work, but to God. The key to answering the call is to be devoted to no one and nothing above God himself. It's not always how it is when we participate in church, though, is it? We get in the way. It becomes about us, and we worry about things like, are the chairs comfortable? Does the worship suit me? Has the pastor got hair or not? All these different things that we think about that get in the way. And church, listen, Crosspoint, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Church is about Jesus. And there's purpose behind our participation in church. 9 through 11 says that what he's pursuing, he just, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We have a purpose, and the first thing is becoming like him would be in his character. Why is character in the Christian life important? Why is it important to be like Christ? It's credibility. We um, ordered Christmas cards this year, uh, a little bit late, but early enough to get them in time to send out before Christmas. And we had a range of time to go in and check at the club store, and we checked one day and they weren't there. We went another day, and they weren't there. I went on my own because I was on a church errand. They weren't there again. The same day I went the third time, I got an email that said, hey, we are sorry. Um, We're having a problem with our printing vendor, and uh, so we're behind. We apologize. And Sam's Club, in the same email, promised to refund the total purchase of our cards and give me a $50 gift card. Why? Because they want to keep my attention. They want me to be a customer. It's about credibility. Have you been, ever been asked, either online, at a store, restaurant, hotel, to give a five-star rating? Of course you have. Please rate us five stars, right? And please take the time and all that. Why? Credibility. Because credibility matters to an audience. We have an audience called the world that Jesus loves, and they're watching Christian people. When you live like Christ, it's a five-star rating for the gospel. When you don't, maybe it's a three-star rating. Maybe it's a two-star rating. But your character matters. You know what my wife said when we first got the notice that those cards weren't gonna be ready on time? I'll never go back there for cards. And we don't want to live lives where people look at us and say, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. Because that is the purpose for which Paul is telling us we're going to live according to Christ's character to be on his mission. That's what the church is about. The church is about the gospel. It's about 
the world knowing Jesus Christ. And I think it's easy to lose that vision sometimes, but we've got to recapture it in a powerful way in 2020. We've got to understand that the church is meant to be evangelical. About 15 years ago, the name fundamentalist started fading from the church world, from churches that believed in the Bible, and that transitioned to being evangelical. We have that title at Cross Point Church. What I think we would prefer, and we would all agree as a church body, that rather than just having the title, that in a very practical, real, visible, tangible sense, we were evangelical. That people were regularly coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of the witness of this church. That's what it means to be evangelical. And that's what we want to be. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. Listen to this quote. Too many Christians believe and act as if the gospel and the church exist to build up their individual discipleship, as if my growth in faith is the end all to be all. But the Bible puts forth a different thing. The Bible teaches us one's individual discipleship should grow. We should grow, we should progress. But we don't grow for ourselves, we grow in order to build up the church and promote the gospel. The church isn't about me. It's about Jesus. And it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And the great commandment and the great commission come together in just a fabulous fashion to tell us to love God and love people, and those are equally true. Think about what's the greatest gift you've ever received. For me, it's my salvation, and I bet for most of you in here, it's your salvation too. And when we love people, we want to share with people, and we want to share the greatest gift we could possibly share. It doesn't cost us very much, and that would be our salvation. And we have to be together on mission with Christ to build up the church, promote the gospel, realizing it's not about us. And so this purpose that we exist to serve, this call on our lives, we also need to be passing it on. I put it up there, I even got a little question on this, which was totally fair. We need to be the persons. I put persons kind of individually plural because it's all of us practicing our faith, growing our faith, but in view of the whole. Again, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Paul writes of his determination to follow Christ in the singular, so it matters. But he says here in verse 16 and 17, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Imitating me how? In these ways he just explained above verse 17. By letting go of the past, by letting go of past successes, past failures, by having a total and complete focus on Jesus Christ, his character, his mission, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those other people who are living out a strong faith, who walk according to the example you have in us. I have an individual responsibility, but let her be, and I know it's redundant from the beginning, but that's in, in, on purpose. <clears throat> We're the church passing on our faith to those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. And they might be in our family. Parents, your determination to pass on salvation is good, but it's short of your whole job. 
Your job is to disciple your children and to have a vision for them that sees them as godly teenagers and that sees them as godly young adults and godly spouses and godly parents and you're pouring into that whole design, that whole big picture, as long as you parent them. And it's not enough to just get them saved. We've got to pass on our faith to our family. We've got to pass on our faith to our peers. They might be here at church. They might be other believers outside. We've got to be passing on our faith. Leaders passing on their faith to emerging leaders. We have some awesome leaders in this church leading ministry teams all over the place. You know what? The overwhelming majority of of them are over 40. And there are people younger than that who are capable, who have amazing potential, who may be waiting to be invited into ministry. And I want to tell you, if you are waiting, stop waiting. Just come forward. We need to be passing our faith on together as a church to people who don't know Jesus. And when anything interferes with the purpose of Christ in our lives, Paul calls that flesh. He says, we're the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And our faith needs to pass on. And I think about something. When it comes to passing on our faith, I think that sharing the gospel gets categorized as something only for the elite, super spiritual people of the world, and nothing can be further from the truth. Do you know that in the gospels, Jesus encouraged people who just got saved, never attended a Bible study, never attended Sunday school, never heard a worship service, never heard worship music, never saw a slide, never participated in the the Bible app, that as soon as they got saved, go tell people. Well, what do you have to tell people? Your story. Your life before Christ, how you came to Christ, your life after Christ. It's like the blind man. Think about the simplicity. I don't know what you're asking me, but all I do know is once I was blind, but now I see. And your story matters so much. Should you know some scripture to be able to bolster your story? Yeah. If you've been saved for any length of time, you should know some scripture. You should know some skill in being able to share your faith, but at the end of the day, it's about your story and what Jesus has done for you. And to the extent that that mirrors scripture, it's useful. We have to pass on our faith. And so we're thinking about what it means to be a new we in a new year. And this is what I think it looks like. And by the way, I didn't create this in a vacuum. I talked to Pastor Bruce. I said, hey, of all the things I'm teaching in here, what do you want me to include? What might be missing or whatever? And he basically said nothing. And so we're agreed on this. And this is nothing I think any right-thinking Christian person would disagree with. In 2020, together, Crosspoint has our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We will answer Christ's call to live out his character in every facet of our lives, being committed to share the gospel with those in our circles of influence. 
Members of Cross Point will faithfully love, care for, and build up our church body. We are resolute to pray for and support world missions. We are dedicated to pass our strong faith on to the coming generations, enabling them to lead the church into an uncertain future for the glory of God. And look, here's the truth. We've been here as a church in this community for 55 years. And I don't know when the Lord's coming. It might be next week. It might be in another 50 years. It's on us to perpetuate and pass on our faith to the next generations so that church, uh, this church can stand strong according to the truth of God's word for another 50 years. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, committed and undistracted from his character and his purposes, and we're busy passing that on to one another, that dream will be a reality. So Jesus, the most of us in here are saved people who care about living out our faith in the new year. And certainly in a crowd this size, there are probably, there are likely people who are curious, maybe confused, maybe even confounded by what it means to follow Jesus. And I pray that the clear, simple truths that you love lost people, that you love unbelievers, that you paid a price to save people and bring them into your family, to forgive their sin. I pray those very simple truths would ring in their minds and they would respond to you by faith, by simply praying a prayer that maybe goes something like this, dear Jesus, I know I'm far from you. Please forgive me and come into my life. And for those of us who know Jesus, maybe faith has been real in our lives, but we've allowed ourselves to get distracted by things of the world or by our own personal agendas. Recapture our hearts and minds this morning and draw us together as a church, as a body of Christ, as the family of God, to move your purposes in this world to to save people, to restore people, to bring peace and hope to a world that is in crisis. May we be that church. May it be so much more than just what we do in this room on Sundays. But may it be who we are and what we accomplish out in that world. And we thank you even that it's a possibility and that there's potential to be here, that you've called us into this And it's only true because you're kind and gracious and loving and patient with a bunch of people like me who take our eyes off you too often. So we're weak in this. We want to grow. We want to be strong. Draw us into being who you've called us to be in the new year. In Jesus' name, amen.